thanks for checking out the New Life Speakers podcast. All of our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. More information about recovery and our upcoming events can be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org. If you don't want to miss our newest upcoming speakers, don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. This podcast is self-supporting, so if you enjoy this podcast, please put a dollar or two into our virtual basket. You can find a link for this in the description. And if you know someone in need, please share this with them. Thank you. Thank God there's a lot of people here. (laughs) I'm Stacy. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Stacy. There was like five people here a couple weeks ago, so. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. And I bought a really big bottle of water. I'm not sure why. Um, so when I speak, I generally do not think much about it. I pray really quick before I do it and I ask God to tell me what to say. So here we go. Um, I have one sister. She's a year younger than me. Um, my father is an alcoholic who has never gone to meetings and hasn't drank in like 35 years. And my mother was mentally ill. Um, so growing up, we lived in, you know, the perfect on the outside house, but chaos on the inside. Um, my sister and I were like the original latchkey kids, which was what they labeled us back then, which meant that your parents were working and you came home from school to an empty house and you fended for yourself. Um, now everybody does that. So, um, you know, so for us, it was, um, my dad, even though my dad drank, we never saw him drink. So he was the good guy and my mom who worked would come home and if we had the house perfect she would likely take us shopping and if we didn't have it perfect she would yell at us and then go hide in a room so that was kind of like the way we lived and you know my mom was the scapegoat for my dad's behavior and um, and that was kind of the way it went we were just like regular kind of middle class we lived out in the country so near nothing um, actually, I grew up here, out by uh, Flying Hills, out that way, Maple Grove. And um, we moved around a lot before that when I was younger. Um, so I learned that uh, I was the, always the new kid, you know. So no matter where you went, you were you're, you always thought people were looking at you or talking about you. You know, you never quite fit in. You know, everybody else had nicer clothes. You know, it was one of those things. and. You know, my dad was in the Navy, so it was just this constant moving thing. Um, But then once we got here, um, my mom's mental illness was getting worse. And, um, you know, my sister and I were just trying to survive, you know. And the only way that we could get out of the house was to make friends who had licenses so that they could come and get us and we could go places. You know, that was like what we did. And um, she had a lot more friends than me, so I actually ended up hanging out with her her friends because I had no friends or I didn't think I did because I had that terminal uniqueness nobody liked me um, you know and I think I had my first drink when I was like 12 but then I never started drinking till like high school um, you know so I found the people that had the booze you know and what I found was I was starting to feel like you know, we, we went to church, we were Catholic, you know, the whole thing, I went to Catholic school, did the whole thing. But 
I didn't think that I was good enough for this God thing that they were trying to teach me about. Um, and so what I did was I acted as if I didn't deserve to be you know, loved by this God person. And the more behavior got worse, the less I felt about myself, you know, and then it's this vicious cycle, right? So now I've got to drink more because I feel worse about myself. And, you know, my morals went down the toilet and, you know, so by the time I graduated and I went to college, um, I left Little Berks County, uh, Holy Name High School, and I went to the University of New York at Stony Brook, which was like 30,000 people. And you know what happened, you know, the, <laughs> The fuse was lit and, you know, and I took off and, you know, I did all the things. You think of it in your head and I did it and, you know, and I got into a lot of trouble really fast and school was not my priority. Um, I was also a really good runner and, you know, by my second semester, I had thrown my running career away. You know, that was done. I think I got a stress fracture because I fell down some stairs or something like that. Um, I had to leave school after a couple semesters. I came back here, um, lived in my parents' house, and um, ended up going to Millersville, um, where my sister was, you know, my sister with all the friends, who also drank but never got in trouble. But I ended up living with her, and somewhere in my senior year of college, I had like this, this awakening, and at that point, my dad had stopped drinking and was going to meetings. And, um, you know, I just was walking to class one day and I was like, I am freaking crazy. I'm crazy. You know, and I knew, for some reason, I knew that it was connected to alcohol. I don't know why, mainly because, you know, there was literature in the house because my mom was trying to save my dad and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, so I started going to meetings in uh, 1989. I went to my first meetings. I stayed sober through my senior year. I left, I went to Massachusetts after school and, uh, and I got active in Alcoholics Anonymous um, back then. Um, but I had fun in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, you know, I went to dances and I had fun with people and that was great and then I met a boy. And uh, the one thing about, I will say about relationships in Alcoholics Anonymous is they, a relationship will distract you from your primary purpose. And it did. And uh, I got married, I had a couple kids, I stayed sober for a couple years, and then about year five, um, I couldn't stand myself, I couldn't stand him, I couldn't stand the kids, and I picked up a drink. And, um, and it, was, it was messy and it was ugly, and um, all the things that I didn't lose the first time started to happen. Um, and by the time I got back to Alcoholics Anonymous two and a half years later, um, I had to, I was in an abusive marriage and I had now three kids um, and I had switched drugs of choice because it was easier to take care of kids high than it was to take care of kids drunk. Um, and I just knew I had to get sober, you know, I just, you know, I wasn't allowed to go to meetings, but I would sneak out and I would go. And, uh, so I knew that the choice I had to make was I had to leave or I was gonna die. I was gonna die there. Uh, I probably would have killed myself. Um, so I made the choice to leave and 
Um, my husband, was, we had a lot of money um, and he had a lot of power in the town and, um, and my kids weren't going with me. And, uh, and I knew that, you know, I made that choice to save myself. Um, within, I think, two and a half months, I was in a psychiatric hospital, diagnosed with the same mental illness that my mother had. Um, and it took me another probably eight or 10 months to get sober at that point um, to stabilize enough. And I did. And, you know, the thing that brought me in this time was, and I'm going to swear, I'm going to get my fucking kids back. And that was what motivated me to get sober. It was, I was not motivated to get sober for me. Um, and I had a lot of people say, well, you got to get sober for yourself. Well, I don't want to get sober for me. So I'm going to get sober for them. And uh, then we'll see what happens. And, um, and luckily that, that kept me sober, you know, on a daily basis. You know, I, and, you know, I had did everything wrong the first time, you know, and this time I wanted to do everything right, you know, and I dove into the steps and I got a sponsor and I got a home, I did all the things that I didn't do the first time. Um, where I got sober in Massachusetts, we had speaker meetings. So I belonged to a speaker group and then you would get in the car three times a week with five or six other people and you would go to other groups. So we would travel to Boston and we would travel to all these places. Oh, you did this last week. Um, you know, and we just, you'd get in the car and you'd learn about people and, you know, and I didn't speak, you know, I wasn't allowed to speak for a little while, but, you know, I got to know people and I was letting people know who I was. And, um, you know, I, I had to work through a lot of, guilt, I had to work through a lot of shame. There was so much shame around leaving my kids and um, I wasn't a good enough mother and you know, why did I do that? And um, But I had people around me, I found women that basically they said, you know, just focus on today. Just, I had one sponsor who you know, I, at this point, there was no God in my life. You know, I absolutely did not believe in a higher power. You know, and I would, I would show up at the meeting and, you know, I would make coffee and, you know, and uh, she would say, well, um, did you make breakfast today? And, yeah, I think I ate some breakfast. Well, you weren't capable of that three months ago, so that had to be God. You know, and she would she plant these seeds in my head of everything that happened in my life was attributed to God and it was annoying as hell but it but the practice of that eventually I started to say it to myself in my own head when something would happen oh this must have been God that made this happen and it was this really slow process that um, I just started to believe and you know I can say that one of the I think one of the biggest things that taught me about trusting a higher power was the fact that my kids did not live with me. Um, so I had no choice but to believe that there was something taking care of my children other than their father, because he wasn't doing a great job. Um, and I had to believe that because I, I would go insane on a daily basis, like wondering what they were doing and how they were and were they okay. and. I couldn't live like that. Like I, there was no life for me if I was going to constantly think about what was happening to them when they were not in my, you know, space. Um, and I think for me that was the the best way that I found 
to trust a higher power. Because if I believed that there was a higher power that took care of them, then there had to be a higher power that took care of me. Um, you know, and the reverse of that is they have a higher power and it's not me. <laughs> you know, so there was there was a lot of pieces of that that, uh, you know, that, you know, when things went wrong, like we had visitation and something would go wrong and I would bend up back in court and, you know, and I just had a sponsor that said, you have to trust the process. You have to trust that this is happening exactly the way it's supposed to happen. And I didn't want to hear that a lot of times. You know, I was angry and I was rageful and I was sad and I was all those things. But, you know, I went from throwing up the first time I went to court to being my own lawyer, you know, and that, you know, and it was one of those, well, how long is it going to take? Well, it's going to take as long as it takes, you know, and, um, you know, I talk about this a lot, the don't give up before the miracle happens. If I would have given up in, on any of those days, in any of those moments when I just wanted to run or scream or stab someone or, you know, all the things that went through my head, if I would have given up at any of those points, I never would have known what God had in store for me in the future. I would never have been able to find out. Um, it took me 14 years to get my kids back. Um, you know, there were things that happened in the meantime, you know, one of which was I left Cape Cod and I went to Rhode Island because I couldn't stand seeing my kids on the street and not be able to talk to them. You know, so I went to Rhode Island to go to graduate school and, um, and I met another boy. And uh, he was right out of prison and he was gorgeous and <laughs> he was the sickest guy in the room and I was attracted to him. And, um, You know, but he adored his mother. You know, that was, I think that was the thing. Um, you know, but I stayed in Rhode Island a couple of years and I got my feet under me. I got, I got to trust that I was doing what was best for my children, that I was doing what was best for my program, that I, you know, in the same town as them, it was really hard for me to see through the trees. I mean, it was just, it was just too hard. Um, we moved back to the Cape. Um, and I got, you know, I would have one kid and then the other one would move back home and then they'd come back and, you know, and there was a lot of that. I had another kid um, who was now 15 and, um, you know, it was messy. You know, life was messy. We, we learned how to pay bills and, you know, like pay rent. Like, I, I moved so much in sobriety because I couldn't pay the rent, so I would run to the next place. And then I would use that place up, and then I'd run to the next place, and I never finished paying the rent. And, you know, eventually I paid the rent, you know, and eventually the, you know, the IRS was paid up, and eventually, you know, I stayed at a job longer than six months, and, you know, eventually, you know, all those things. And, um, you know, but a day at a time, I, I just kept putting time together, you know, and, and I kept trusting that what was happening was what was supposed to happen. Um, about nine years ago, we moved back here. Um, my parents still lived here and, um, and the kids all followed. And that was the, that was the, the time. Um, my daughter is now 30 and then I have a 28 year old and I have a 26 year old. Um, and the 26 and 30 followed me. The 28 took a little bit longer. 
Um, he had more fun to have in Massachusetts. And, um, you know, we, we started a life here and, you know, we bought a home. You know, we did this, these things, these things we thought we would never do. And um, one of the things I did when I moved back, though, is I, um, I didn't go to meetings right away. Um, I didn't go to meetings for two years. Um, and I don't advise that. Um, I was insane, I think is probably the best word. I did not pick up a drink, but I was not fun to be around. Um, <laughs> uh, he was actually over the road driving truck, and I was taking care of these. This He was little, and then these kids that were a disaster that I now had custody of, you know, that I now had to take care of. And, um, you know, it was, it was a little rough, but, um, and I don't remember exactly how it happened. I remember I showed up one Monday night at the Women's Courage to Change group and I did not want to be there. And, um, I don't even remember how I was. I don't know if I cried. I don't know. I don't know. Sue would remember, but all I know is they welcomed me there. They didn't judge me. Um, I was dealing with a lot of mental illness stuff at the time. I talked about it a lot, you know, and they just had, they just told me to keep coming back. And, you know, one of the things I did not want in Alcoholics Anonymous was female friends. I never did. In all those, in all those years, you know, in all that recovery, that was the last thing I wanted. And, um, and these people just surrounded me and forced me to like them. And, you know, and I started to get back involved with Alcoholics Anonymous again. And, um, you know, the thing that I've learned about that is it does, it doesn't matter how much time you have, you need Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, you either need it for you or you need it for who you're going to help. And it doesn't really matter who needs it or doesn't need it. You still need to be there. Um, you know, I've, I've been through the steps a bunch of different ways, um, I think one of the most, when I came back, I did the steps right away. You know, I did, each time you do the steps, it cleans a little bit of the crap away and it makes, you know, gets you a little bit closer to your higher power. Um, now I did the steps out of the big book um, and something called big book step study up in Massachusetts. And it's a very strict, thorough way to do the steps. And, um, and I believe that that saved me. You know, and at the same time, I started to go to another program because I still had addicts in my life. And, you know, between those two things, you know, it it helped keep me moving forward. Um, I believe that your work is never done. I believe that there's always something to learn. Um, I never think that I know anything uh, because as soon as I do, I'm not learning anything. Um, so we're moving tomorrow, um, and and actually there's a, there's some before that. My parents moved. I came here. I came back here because my parents lived here. They moved like four years ago. I was like, what the heck? Um, and in September and November, November seventh, my mom passed away, and. cool thing about that is um, about a year and a half ago we opened a restaurant and um, what it did was it gave me the freedom 
that when I got the phone call that um, she had cancer, I was able to go out to Pittsburgh and be with her. Like, it gave us that flexibility. And I spent her last three months with her. And my father and my sister didn't want to give her her medication, so I was in charge of the morphine and, the, and all that stuff, which I thought was hysterically ironic. But I was the only one who was organized enough to do it. Um, you know, and I was able to, I hated my mother. I hated her because she was mentally ill. I hated her because she made me mentally ill. I hated her for a long time. And these three months with her gave me the opportunity to make amends to her and to be of service to her. And, you know, there was something about her passing that, um, made me think a lot about how short life is and um and then in january my father fell on some ice and had a brain injury um and i went back out to pittsburgh um and spent some time taking care of him um and then again the you know life is short what are we doing and then about seven weeks ago um, Michael had back surgery and you know one of the things about that was we had to get someone we had to hire someone to do his job and um, there were all these signs like I think if we pay attention God shows us everything um, and I've gotten really good at paying attention and so the surgery happened and uh, we realized that he wasn't going to be standing in the kitchen in three weeks. <laughs> so uh, we made this decision to move. And um, I've had a lot of people like, what are you doing? Why is it so fast? Well, God told us what to do and we're doing it. Like, and that's what we're doing. And, um, you know, we're we sold our house. We're moving to Delaware. We're, you know. But the, the thing about that is I've been going to Delaware for three years. I've been going to meetings in Delaware for three years. Um, and then for the last couple of months, I've been looking for a home group. I've been going to Al-Anon meetings. I've been trying to find those. I've been meeting people. I've been taking phone numbers. I've been talking to people um, so that what happens when I move tomorrow doesn't have what happened like eight years ago when I moved here um, because I don't want to lose any of this. Um, you know, so, t so today we were supposed to pick up the truck and the car hauler and we got there to pick it up and it wasn't there. So there's no truck and there's no car hauler. So, so my first instinct is yell at someone, stab someone, choke someone, you know, the, the first things that go through your head. Um, but I pretty quickly went to, okay, well, I don't know why it's happening, but okay. Um, and I think that's uh, just a miracle today. Um, you know, I had, you know, these crazy girls that forced me to like them in that Monday night meeting. Um, Caitlin called me the other day and said, why don't we have some dinner? I'm like, okay, let's have dinner on Friday before the meeting. And I'm going through today and I'm thinking, this is not just going to be dinner. She is just sneaky enough to do something. So there were 14 women at dinner. Um, but, you know, 
in all these years and and all the things that I thought I wanted out of life, none of it is what I have today because God has a much better plan for us <laughs> than we could even imagine. And I'm so excited about moving because I can't wait to see what's next. Like, I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. I can't wait to see him in a new high school. I can't wait to see, you know, us in shape because we can walk the dog now. Like, I mean, it's just little stuff, but... Um, I'm just excited about what Alcoholics Anonymous has given me. Um, I don't know. Uh, my, my dad is very lonely and having a really hard time without my mom. And, um, and my sister's trying to stop drinking. And... Um, you know, so my sister sent me this thing from my dad. He, he was on a submarine when he was in the Navy, and they're having a reunion. And she said, I can't go to this. Will you go? And I called my dad, and I was like, oh, let's go. Let's go to the Naval Academy, and let's go, you know. And I never would have done that. Like, drunk me never would have wanted to spend that time with my dad, you know. But I know how short life is, you know, and... Um, I don't know. I'm just excited that I did enough work to find a higher power I trust um, and that I'm open-minded enough to allow God to work in my life um, because my idea of my life would have just kept sucking. You know, I didn't, I didn't want that life. I would have been dead, number one. I would have killed myself a long time ago. But um, I love my life today. And I love Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. And, um, and don't give up before the miracle happens. I mean, you want to go drink tonight? Have the thought, let it pass, talk to someone. Because you don't know if, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what gift God is going to give you tomorrow. And if you drink, you'll never know. You'll never know. So that's all I have. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speakers Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through its seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link on our website, newlifespeakers.org. You can also find a link for this in the description below. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and thanks for listening.